Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty Road listeners. We're so excited to have you today. As you guys have been hearing, whether it's on Instagram or here on the podcast, this pivot has been so exciting for us. I've wanted to have more and more conversations with women over 40 who are doing their thing. And today's uh, conversation with Molly Berry is no exception. You are in for a real treat. She is a lovely human being on top of a rock star entrepreneur. So Molly, thank you for joining us. Neta, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And you're all the way from Guatemala. We should tell everybody. I'm here in LA and you're in Guatemala. So we are an international cross-cultural podcast here. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm, I'm tuning in from Antigua, Guatemala. I love it. What's the weather there right now? Um, it's sunny and blue skies and warm. Antigua is known as the land of eternal spring. And technically we have two seasons, rainy season and dry season. Right now we're in the dry season and it's just beautiful, really lush and surrounded by volcanoes, pretty high elevation. And it's a beautiful old, like over 400 year old colonial city. It's amazing. And you guys can follow Molly on at Luna Zorro on Instagram Mm -hmm. and see all the, all the beauty. And we'll have all of that in the show notes as well. So tell everybody a little bit about what Luna Zorro is. And I know there's multiple platforms and we'll get into that, but tell us about what this company is that you've built. Okay. Well, in, in kind of, in a general term, we are a textile, hand-woven textile boutique firm and also becoming more and more of a lifestyle brand. So um, I partner with artisans in Guatemala, mostly female artisans, weavers in particular, and we do custom textiles for our own small collections online, but mostly for high-end hotels. We do custom hand-woven bathrobes and towels and all different kinds of products for different properties internationally. Was the intention to go to Guatemala to create this product? No, no, not at all. (laughs) It's been a a long and winding and very exciting path um, that was not necessarily ever a plan. The business has been around for almost eight years, but it's been really, I feel my entire life has led to kind of this point Mm. and in different ways, you know, so many different nets were cast throughout my life. And it just feels like this business has finally allowed me to bring so many ties back together. And not even because I necessarily planned on it, it just has kind of very organically unfolded, but in the most beautiful and really exciting and difficult and 
fun way. Well, I want to get back to that, but you were about to yeah. tell us before I interrupted you more about yeah. what Luna Zorro has become in, in addition to the textile piece of the company. Yes. So once I started working with artisans and we uh, slowly started building and doing custom orders for other designers initially, and then we really kind of fell into the market of sort of luxury hotel properties. Once that kind of started evolving and I was sharing so much about my experience just because I enjoyed it and because I, I do love photography and writing and just sharing about my life in general in Guatemala, living abroad and having two small children and the development of my business here. I just started getting more and more interest and people were really like, wait, that's Guatemala, these photos, where is this place? Now this place, that's Guatemala too. And just being able to really use Instagram in particular as a platform to reach so many people and through this very visual way Mm. to share about where I live with my family. And in a way that, you know, never would have been possible before. So as I continued to do that, I just started getting more and more interest in the brand, but also what we are based in, the artisans that I work with, how things are made, what Guatemala is like, just geographically the beauty of this country. And and so eventually, as I started doing the business and it became really an actual business and we were beginning to grow, I felt very um, strongly about creating a destination in Antigua to create a a community, a place for people to connect with with the brand and the brand story and what we're doing. And so I built a a studio here in Antigua inside a 150-year-old coffee farm, and I got to design the building and have it built with the intention of really having a place where people could come and buy our products, but more importantly, see how our products are woven. Traditionally on Footloom, we do most of our projects, but there's um, another kind of weaving in Guatemala called Backstrap Loom. So I wanted to feature both of those styles weaving so that people could really understand the process. We also use natural dyes. So I wanted to have like workshops for people to try natural dyes and that try weaving and just be on a coffee farm and have brunch outdoors while we're doing workshops, you know, just lots of different ways for a community to connect. So that that's what started branched off into what is now Lunazoro Studio. Was the both the Instagram and the showing the pictures and the telling the stories and building the studio to have people come and experience it live. Was it about showing them Guatemala? Was it about showing them the artisans and how you can craft these things in a way that's holding their artistry as well as, you know, kind of minding all of your fair trade P's and Q's and Mm -hmm. like, tell me about what, why was that so important for you? That's a really good question and almost hard one for me to answer because it's never, it was never about necessarily growing a giant following or being an influencer. Cause I still to this day don't even really <laughs> identify in that way at all. Um, not that it's a bad thing. I just, that's not really the course of my presence on in Instagram um, per se, mm-hmm. but I don't really know. I think, Luna Zero came out of my love for being able to just share about whatever it is. Before we lived in Guatemala, we lived in Panama and 
that was when I first started using Instagram. And again, I've been there for about a year and a half. And when I started using Instagram as my own personal, just iPhone photos, you know, with all the filters and all the fancy things back then. But even then, that's when that whole thing started for all my friends and so many people from the States or from Europe where I have lived before. We're just like, wait, this is Panama? You know, that's what your neighborhood looks like. That's where you're going. And and I just really, it really made me realize how much opportunity I had to just use it creatively. And I can credit it to that platform in particular, really at the stage in my life when I started using it, completely um, brought all of these things from my past creatively into one kind of funnel where all of a sudden I felt like, wait, I can put all of these things into one place and share about it. And back then too, it wasn't even about monetizing anything. I just really sincerely loved doing it. I loved writing and I loved taking photos and telling the story of where I was. And that just kind of continued on with me as we moved to Guatemala. And I've always been a really pretty creative person and very I guess, entrepreneurial, pretty much independent in that I always felt very reluctant to getting a job for somebody else. That's entrepreneurship. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> in, a, in a pretty, like, sometimes overly stubborn way. I think even in my after graduating from college, when I kind of had no business saying, I'm just going to work, I'm going to figure something out. And I'm just going to work for myself. That was before someone like me could even say, I'm going to become a content creator or a blogger or, and none of those things existed. I mean, kind of, it was 2001. So, and my major at UCLA was called world arts and cultures. And it was the greatest major. I loved it so much. I lived abroad my junior year. I met so many people. I studied everything I was interested in. I put myself through school which I mentioned because I was really determined to be there. I was more focused on studying what was interesting, although I had no idea what I was going to do after. And that was always a big thing, like, where are you going to go work after college? I mean, you know, it was very much that way. And I never really had an answer. <laughs> you know, I having spent and and retired recently from being a consultant. Um, yes, thank you for so for so many years. Many of my clients were in their 40s and 50s saying to me, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So I definitely the lesson was learned for me as I was sending my daughter off to college to not ask, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. More, what are you curious about? What inspires you? And I think we need to continue to ask ourselves those questions. It's also interesting to me that as somebody who wasn't a digital native, who didn't enter into Instagram in particular with an intention of becoming an influencer, that word probably didn't even exist, right? It wasn't even in our vocabulary Mm -hmm. in 2001. No, it's definitely, I mean, we were barely making websites, honestly. It exactly. Was like, no. I took one kind of coding class and it's the silliest excuse <laughs> of a website. But I mean, it wasn't even an, op- an option. Right. So, so the point I was making is for you to have created the platform almost in a sense to be an ambassador 
initially of Panama and then of Guatemala Mm -hmm. to share what you were seeing with other people. I think that authenticity is probably why you were able to grow it um, the way you were. And, you know, I, I think it's harder now to do that because we we're entering into that space with this, like, how do we monetize this sort of sensibility Yeah. Yeah. versus how do I just show up and share what I love and share what's interesting to me? Yeah. Really, truly. That is how my course unfolded with it all. I mean, and there are still days where I think only I had gotten into it a little bit sooner, or if I had started blogging a little bit sooner, I'm not a blogger, but even I have those moments where I'm like, if only I'd started sooner. And I think that as I've gotten older, and as you said, you know, speaking with women in their fifties and, and beyond, it's such an interesting thing, how I think all people do it, but I notice a lot of my girlfriends, that's a big It's a big kind of question. It's just a big kind of thing that's always kind of floating out there, which I'm sure has so much to do with, you know, our course of if we become mothers or if we don't. I mean, we have, in a sense, more time constraints, but at the same time, it's just funny how it's sort of like what there's never really good time. And if I had ever tried to do all of this with such a, with like an official business plan and major goals in mind, I would not be where I, where I am today, for sure. Meaning you allowed things to sort of progress more organically? Yes. My business has, it now has a lot of, a big array of different venues right? (laughs) or different revenue streams or different kind of areas, platforms. So I'll just go back real quick because it, for me, it is important. And I wish I had a really concise elevator pitch about this story because people ask me and it's just go on and on. (laughs) But it is because it's (laughs) all so connected. When I was a world arts and cultures major and I lived abroad and when I graduated in 2001, it wasn't that I didn't want to work for someone else. I just had no idea what I really wanted to do. And looking back, I'm not sure why I didn't know what a creative director. I think I, if I really understood what it was, Mm. I would have said, okay, that sounds like something I want to do. All I really knew is I, I wanted to continue to travel. I wanted to speak languages and I just really could not wrap my mind around the fact that I would get two weeks off a year in most any job that I was going to have. And I needed to pay off my student loans starting from the day I graduated. So I didn't have any kind of cushion, but I still was pretty headstrong about what I wanted. So that led to basically the next almost 10 years of my life of trying a lot of things <laughs> um, and being pretty independent. And I started my own jewelry line for a while. I, I lived in Italy for two years. I came back to the San Francisco Bay Area and I'd always been acting growing up. I got back into theater, voiceover. And I moved back to Los Angeles, was acting again. That's when I started making jewelry. I was just trying to do all kinds of things to be in a creative realm and working for myself. But that also came with like with a lot of tension because financially it was always so up and down. I tried to pay attention to the things that I really 
cared about. So I loved jewelry and I one day saw some earrings and I looked at them and I was like, I could make those. And so I started figuring out how to make jewelry on my own. And then I started wearing the jewelry and then more and more people were like, oh, um, where did you get your earrings? And so I started to say, oh, they're for sale. So that's when I started my first real kind of website, which had like a PayPal link, I think, and a few photos. But I was still very much like, I am here to be after. But I, and I was all about the power of intention, thinking about, okay, this is envisioning myself Utilizing some of those things that we know now um, as entrepreneurs to to kind of yes. spur yourself forward. And it's interesting too, yeah. even when you were talking about the acting, like learning to live from gig to gig, right? Different than from oh. paycheck to paycheck when you know that yeah. that's coming every month. It sort of is, that was early training for you yes. to, to yes, be an entrepreneur, sure. right? And always really being in a vulnerable place. And for me, it as I said, it was really hard also because I do like feeling in control. I mean, I did, I, I couldn't on the fact that I, I felt so out of control of my own destiny in a way. I think the, in that world, it's, it's particularly difficult, the amount of rejection on a day-to-day basis, but I do think it helped, but I, I still would like go to an audition wearing some earrings that I made and like, I do the audition and then people are like, thank you so much. Um, where did you get your earrings? I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I'm here for this job. We're going to skip on the acting thing, but we love your jewelry. That's hilarious. And I I kept trying to get myself away from the jewelry, but I also couldn't help but notice that there there was an energy going towards this kind of my own, just something I loved and making something that um, wasn't attached to a desperate need to get the job or whatever. When did the jewelry parlay into what is now Luna Zorro? Well, there was a a giant gap. Okay. (laughs) The jewelry started taking off actually, despite me really wanting it to. I started receiving more inquiries about people wanting to rent the brand and be sales reps and all these things. And that was going to require a lot of overhead that I didn't have to invest in actual material. And I was working with some more expensive materials. So it kind of brought me to a point where I thought, what am I doing here? What is my real intention? Do I really want to be an actor? Do I want to be on this roller coaster ride? Mm. Do what if I have children one day? Is this where I want them to be? You know, I went into kind of a spiral, but in a way, rather than not a spiral out of control, but more like I really don't know what I want to do. I feel like I have all this creative energy. I don't know where to put it. And so I try to at least kind of forecast what. What do I want in my life? If I, you know, I was single, I had no kids, I had all this time, I worried about money, and I was really creative, and I didn't know how to put it all together. Right. Uh, but I knew that I didn't feel grounded in my decisions, and that sort of made me realize that I needed to change things up. And I moved back to the Bay Area and ended up teaching a drama class to children in school, and I loved it. It was so much fun. I felt like connected to a community. Whereas with my jewelry, I was always alone making it. And that was also really isolating. Anyway, this led me into deciding, okay, after all these years, I never thought I was going to actually do this, but I think I should just get my teaching credential, become a teacher. And I will always have a career path and I won't have just two weeks off a year. And I 
where I can move around the world and be a teacher. I, I really rationalized why it was a good decision. And for me at the time, it was. I got my, my master's in education and my California teaching credential while I was teaching full time. So I kind of went head on into this commitment. I actually really thrived in a sense because I just didn't have that feeling of like so much, so many options that it felt overwhelming. It was just like, this is what you're doing today. Yeah. And you had some structure that you probably hadn't had since graduating. Exactly. It's interesting too, that you were asking yourself questions about what you wanted your life to look like, not necessarily questions about what you wanted to do. And then teaching allowed for the flexibility of the summers off and those things that you valued so much. So in asking yourself those questions, you got to sort of expand. Also, when you were talking about, I didn't know what a creative director was. I think it's really important. And honestly, it's part of the mission of this podcast is, to hear people tell stories, to see stories in front of us so we know what's possible for us, what we can become. Had you seen creative directors? Had you heard this title, this role? Had you understood what was possible in it? You may have jumped right into that right away because it sort of accommodated all the things that you were looking for. I think so, but I don't know. Of course, of course. My journey or my history, it really has all totally. And as all of ours, um, it's one choice upon another. And, um, and for me really thinking, trying to always do like a backwards planning or like, or at least thinking like, well, what do I in X number of years, what do I want my life to look like? What, and more importantly, what do I want to feel like Mm. in my life rather than like, how much money do I want to be making? How many homes am I, you know, I, it's never been so much of like a tangible thing, but sure. more of idea about what I want to feel like with my family, with, with my relationship, with my work, all of those things. Really at the time that the teaching came along that I think I kind of knew in the back of my mind, it wouldn't be forever, but I needed kind of, I needed a little bit of a, like a security, a security blanket. So I took out more student loans. I paid off my undergraduate by that point, but I took out loans for my master's. But then that, that structure created so many kind of little side things. I met my husband who we've actually known each other since we were kids. Oh wow! Um, we didn't, we were always just friends throughout the years. And so we started dating. We were both living in Oakland at the time. And um, like a lot of things kind of, materialized just during that time. I think in that structure, Mm -hmm. it really helped. Yeah. I mean, this is like a very personal thing, but at that, for those years that I was in LA and my life felt, I felt happy. I was doing things that I wanted really, but I had a lot of insecurity. I felt very, as I said, vulnerable about what was I Mm. really doing? What am I really, what am I doing with my life? And I didn't have my period for like almost about four years. Once I went back to the area and got my teaching credentials, doing all of the work and was like really had all the structure, it came mm. back. Your body was telling you what it needed. I wanted to just say really quickly, because I think it's important what you said when you when you talked about 
I have been trying to figure out what I want to feel in the future, not just what I want to amass, you know, the things Mm -hmm. that I want to own or that this sort of economic empowerment will allow um, in my life. But I think it's really important for us to, to consider that paradigm shift for ourselves. What is it that we want to, to feel Um, There's a great Diane von Furstenberg quote, and we've used it before, but it's, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew the woman I wanted to become. And it reminded me of that when you were saying that. And then also that you would operate and continue to operate, it sounds like, from a place of, let me identify what that feeling is and then reverse engineer my steps to getting there. Yes, that's exactly how it was. (laughs) That really, I mean, so to kind of jump forward, Juan, my husband, he's half Guatemalan and and has family. We have a, on the Caribbean coast of Guatemala, we have a a tropical hardwood tree farm. This was a farm that his parents planted a little over 25 years ago. And at the time, Juan was working in production and film in the Bay Area, and I was graduating. We were about to get married. And it was 2010 and teachers were getting pink slips and I had no, no job lined up. Um, and Juan had hit a wall after 10 years in post-production and was like, I can't do this anymore. One day, he's, it was a Tuesday, it, February. You remember? <laughs> I remember because that I, I'm just going to put in my notice and I, I promise, you know, I'll figure it out. Because I was basically living on student loans and like any salary. And I I totally support you. I know that you are burnt out and ready for change. And you just wait until Saturday so we can talk about this. Yeah. And he said, yes. And that Friday, this huge, like he worked for a Disney-owned production company. Um, they laid off the entire company and said they were closing down that facility and moving back to LA and gave everyone a really good severance package and offered him six more months of like a, a, a big bonus to finish a project he was on. Wow. Um, and it was like, as of that Saturday, like, okay, so what do you want to do? And he really wanted to get into agroforestry and reforestation and take over the farm. So that kind of started the in motion. He ended up in paid internship in Panama State, an offer. So we went that spring break and I interviewed with all the international schools there, all of whom offered me a job teaching third grade, which is what I wanted. So we came home like, okay, we're moving to Panama. Wow. We got married and then I went three months before him so he could finish his job and I didn't speak Spanish and didn't know anyone and <laughs> moved to Panama. And I ended up in the end, I was only a teacher for five years total. So it was not a very long lived career, but I, and I still am paying student loans for that from that master's. I really truly look at it as such a gift because it kind of got me through this really um, complicated time of trying to really figure out who I am, what I want to do and what I feel connected to and what I'm good at. Yeah. And those five years were scaffolding for what was next. I think a lot of times we look at those moments and we say, oh, somehow I made a a wrong turn. Somehow I missed the mark and, and need to realize like that was there for some reason. Absolutely. That was an intentional part of your life and who you are and who you've become and what you needed at the time. Yes. And it's all in retrospect, you know, 
hindsight, once my son was born, he was born my second year of teaching in Panama, Joaquin, and we we were only going to go to Panama for one year just to try it. And we stayed for four, <laughs> thinking we would eventually come to Guatemala. And then when do you finally land in Guatemala? Um, we've been here for eight and a half years. Oh, now. my gosh. So it's been over 12 years. Once Joaquin was born, then that's when I really hit, I kind of hit that wall again. Once it was time for me to go back to work after having time with him, I just was like, this is exactly why I didn't want to work for somebody else. This is, I don't want to leave. I'm not supposed to leave my son. Yeah. I feel claustrophobic. That's when I started using Instagram and it was not making me any money at all, but I don't know. It just was like a light switch of sure. reconnecting to like this creative side of me. And I started um, teaching improv workshops to girls in Panama City, most of whom were like from all over the world, really international Portuguese and French and Italian and then a lot of Panamanians. I was doing all these workshops for girls in English and it was paying me like over twice as much as I had been making as a teacher. So I had time with my son and then I started making jewelry again and doing little trunk shows and yeah. So that was your second. I was going to say the jewelry making and then yes. the improv classes. You had these two entrepreneurial yes. sort of ventures in advance of launching Luna Zorro. So by the time you get to Luna Zorro, you're you're a, you're an old hat. By the time I launched Luna Zorro, I had a little bit more. Well, one, maybe a thick skin from those years in Los Angeles, but also a drive and ambition and also a real need. I had to make money. It was like we were 50-50 and I needed to bring in my share. But also I really wanted to be with my son as much as possible. Yeah. But also just the more I did it and the more I put myself out there and saw like the response to what I would put out, it really, it, it gave me a little bit more fearlessness or at least the confidence to try. And so I started writing a blog then and I don't do it anymore, but just I had a lot of creative outlets it just kind of inspired me to continue forward. So then we moved to Guatemala. My daughter was born. I have always loved textiles. I have no history of, you know, or like technique with textile design, but I wanted a bedspread for our room that was made in Guatemala, handwoven, but typical textiles are called teletipica in Guatemala. Like really it translates to typical textiles. But it, it's more the traditional textiles are very colorful and really mm -hmm. incredibly beautiful and intricate and a lot of designs. But I just wanted something a little more modern, just more neutral palette. So I started looking everywhere in Antigua. I couldn't find anything. I talked to as many people as wanted to talk to me. Finally, one guy in the artisan market here said, well, maybe we can make it for you. Can you draw a picture of what you want? Which I did. Two weeks later, he handed his hands me this bedspread and I was like and I was about to have my daughter Hazel and it was just kind of like this light bulb like this is so beautiful they just made exactly what I asked for maybe I could do custom textiles for other designers if I want this other people will want this too exactly so it just was like I a seed and then I ended up taking a photo of Joaquin on the bedspread of him a designer and architect in Panama City, whose daughters I taught in the workshops, 
she saw a photo of it and she said, Molly, I'm doing a remodel of Las Clementinas Hotel, which was our neighborhood called Costco Viejo in Panama City. It's so beautiful there. But um, and um, I'm looking for bedspreads exactly like this. Do you have the contact? And I was like, I do have the contact. It's me. <laughs> I can try to make these for you. How many do you want? So we worked on the palette and we changed it a little bit. And I went back to that guy and I said, I need like 14 or 15 bedspreads. And halfway through, she's like, you're charging me for your time, right? And I said, you know, I, I just would really like to see how this goes. And right in the end, I, I put on like $10. I mean, I made I, something very small. Once I got the bedspreads, I thought this really could work. And so I decided before I sent the bedspreads, I made the label. I thought of a business name, which is named after my children. My son is Joaquin Fox Bronson. So Fox in Spanish is Zorro. And my daughter is Hazel Moon Bronson. So Moon in Spanish is Luna. So it's I named love after that. Them. I bought the URL. That's so sweet. <laughs> I bought the URL. I made my labels. I did the art, like the art design, which was yeah. not really designed on Word. Okay. A Word document. <laughs> this is yeah. what I'm talking about. I, I know. I mean, I've been there. Yep. <laughs> we made them. I sewed them in. And then I sent them to, to Panama City. And uh, then it then it really after that it really did unfold. From there, I started just telling people like I'm going to do textile design and this is what I'm going to do. And then a friend said, you know, there's this project happening and they need someone on the ground who can work with this artisan community. Why don't you talk to them? And I ended up getting hired for a good fee to work with this artisan community here. So I immediately met another community, got to see this whole production for a very big designer in New York. And that was a major eye-opening experience for me too, about um, what I, oh, I bet. don't want to do. Yeah. And uh, being very um, conscientious about the story that I'm telling about this and not making this like my soapbox of, you know, how I'm doing such a good job with social impact or using exploiting anyone whatsoever in, to tell a story. Um, I know that's a big statement, but it, and I, we don't have to get into details, but. No, I under, I understand it. And I understand the importance of it, but it's, was there a part of you that, although you didn't want to exploit any person or mm-hmm. any, you know, group of people, um, did you feel that you could tell the story in such a way that you were bringing attention to them and that attention would be honorable and that it would also give them an opportunity. I mean, you would get more orders and they would in turn get more money for their work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I felt that it was essential that I, at this point I hadn't really even started much. I, I just was still learning yeah. about textiles and working with artisans and it from a big picture from a high rise in New York City to literally like a, a rural community yeah. in the western islands of Guatemala like that what a giant disconnect there was there and the fact that I'm here and I have this what has is now become a major bond with so many women so I think just seeing what I saw it just was more that it helped me to say okay that's not what I'm going to do. If I do this, I have to be very delicate and sensitive and as respectful as possible about how this whole story is told. 
And mostly it's not to tell a story about the impact we're making. What I've always felt really um, confident and strongly about is that we need to focus on the actual craft of weaving because the women who are making these textiles are so incredibly talented. I mean, to a point that mathematically just what they're doing on a, on a foot loom or a backstrap loom is mind blowing, not to mention hand dyeing techniques and how this has been passed on through so many generations. Yeah, I was going to say just keeping their artisanship alive, just keeping that uh, going from generation to generation and the value of that. Exactly. And getting it into what ultimately now with the hotels that we work with into a luxury market because it really can be there. It's not just a handicraft and not just, if you buy this blanket, this person will have electricity for a week. I just didn't want to go there with any of that um, because I felt strongly that if we just focus on the craft and the art and the beauty of what is happening here, then the rest, I mean, we are a for-profit company. Everyone I work with is working really hard to provide for their families. I hope everybody really hears what you're saying, because I do think there is a temptation and look, we've learned there's been lots of companies, we won't name names, but there's been lots of companies who well-intended companies who have benefited from that storytelling. And again, I think the intention was to help, Mm -hmm. but I, what I love about what you're doing is focusing on the artistry, focusing on these are smart and capable human beings. The only thing I'm doing is like giving you a window into this amazing work that they're doing and and to maintain that integrity in the entire process, which includes the fair wage that they're getting, which includes being treated a certain way, which includes even probably having some artistic say in the end product, working with you to say, Molly, the outcome will be X, Y, and Z. And I have to imagine, I hadn't even thought of this, but until you brought it up, but that a lot of those women themselves are also in their forties and fifties and sixties yes, and also have so much to bring to the table. Yes. And also have so many responsibilities and a lot of children and things that like, this is serious. It's their life. It's, it's the way they're providing for, yeah, their community and their family. And we are also eye to eye on that. And our partnership works because what I'm good at is making connections to a global market. And they are masters at what they do. So together, it is a real partnership. I can't do it without them. And they could maybe find, they can find probably someone else to help them, but they, that's how we work together. And it's um, been such a really amazing experience. We really, at first, it was just like, I took the money from the bedspreads and I made some, some towels. And then I started sharing pictures of the towels and saying, if you want to order towels, you you know, I sew them in a set of four and then people would direct message me and then they'd send me a PayPal link and I'd be like, okay. And I started company. So this is important too, for me, want to say I had no capital at all. I yeah. mean, maybe aside from that $140 or whatever from the bedspread, I had two little kids and um, I did knew one thing that I did not want inventory sitting in my house because I still to this day have jewelry materials sitting in storage, you know, 
but I also had no money to invest in inventory. So I just from day one was like, this is this pro- these products are woven to order. I called it loom to home. I was just like, if you want these, we require the payment up front, and then Delia will begin weaving your order. And I and I would explain that to people, and they they all knew like, thank you so much. Please tell Delia. I said, you know, I said thank you, and they knew it could be up to four weeks of waiting. And sure. people were so supportive and. Well, they knew they were getting this really special yes. thing. You weren't yeah. you weren't making them wait for weeks for something they could go to Target and buy. Yeah, I mean exactly. that's the that's yes. the reality yeah. of, of and it. even if they could buy something that looked similar at Target, yeah. you know that that's yeah. not why they were buying the product and and it yes. made it cash positive, which was really important. Then we got a really um, a big order from Amber Lewis remembering for a bunch of bed beds that really helped. That was a big one for us. Yeah. And then within like a year and a half, I we got our first custom handwoven bathrobe order from um, Auberge Hotels is our main client. Yes. There are like properties all over the world now, but our first was in Mexico and it um, was for almost 1,000 handwoven robes. And we still make robes for them today because they have a spa and they have them in the hotel and that was a major, like that was a huge shift for yeah. us. Um, and also another thing, as I said earlier, like getting these products into a luxury market, Auberge has always been such an amazing client in that they, all of our robes on all of the properties we're on now, um, they all, all of the labels say Nozoro them and they've been clear that they want that to be there because they want people to know where the oh. product comes from. And so it's just like it that that was kind of one of that's those amazing like wow preparation I guess all at the same time kind of thing but um that's what that's what really launched the business thank you for taking us down that um as you started <laughs> in the beginning saying that windy path and that yes. is why we Change the name from Liberty for her to Liberty Road because yes, I love 50% that. of the conversations I was having, people would say something in the interview like, it's been a long and winding road or it's been yes. a, a hard path or there's been a lot of lefts or rights. And I think that's part of it. And when we acknowledge or even when we go into any one of these ventures, whether you're writing a book or starting a nonprofit or like yourself starting a for-profit, when we go into it, knowing that it's a windy path. It's not as linear as we yes. might think it is. No matter how many pages of a business plan you have in front of you, yeah. you, you don't know what's going to happen. We know that better than we ever have after the last two years living through COVID. But I appreciate you taking the time to tell us that because I think oftentimes, you know, if somebody heard me say, oh, you should meet Molly she makes all these beautiful textiles for auberge all over the world. We forget the, she put herself through school, then there was yeah. acting and then she made jewelry and kind of made a go of it. But then she became a teacher and went <laughs> back to school and then she still has school loans, but then she goes to Panama. And then after Panama, you know, she's having babies this during this whole time, she yeah. ends up in Guatemala and you don't hear those stories. No. And oftentimes I think what happens is, we believe that that story of success is overnight, that that person had the money, had the connections, mm-hmm. had the personality, had whatever it took. And it's really, uh, I think, such a value and such a gift that you just gave us in sharing 
the whole story. Like here's a look behind the curtain. And when you do that, I believe this wholeheartedly. That's when you empower others. Mm -hmm. That's when, when you tell your truth, that's when other people, ah, I'm going to get choked up. (laughs) That's when other people, um, can create their own story. And thank you for that. I need to, I need to memorize that recap. That's my elevator. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it is, it is so true. Put it in your phone and just hit play whenever you need to. I wish I had a faster way of telling it, but at the same time, it just wouldn't work because it's just not, that's not how my path has been. I never considered myself a business person, you know, like at all. And I still think (laughs) that's not my strong suit, but, um, to now see, okay, I now have this wholesale arm of the business. I have our own retail. Um, and now we have the physical, like our studio destination, which we do these workshops and people are coming from all over the world. And we have like people that are coming to me in within Guatemala, like chefs that I admire so much and other artists want to do collaborations. And- which is beautiful. And you guys can see that on Instagram. Thank it's you. stunning. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, the, the, all of the decking around the studio, it's all glass and metal inside this uh, steel inside, a, inside this coffee farm. But we have our natural dyes garden and we have the footloom and we have the outdoor kitchen now, but all of the decking around the space and all of the, the furniture inside, I designed it. My husband eventually started growing cacao in the centipede of our farm. And so now we're making chocolate for Luna's Oral with the chocolate and like all these things are coming together in so many ways that I feel, I, I feel security and also a lot of pride in like how many different facets of the business that we have. I want to create products and experiences and I want to get everybody together. That's what I want. Now we're to the point where I've hired, I hired three people this year, last year, I took a business loan. Yeah. We did take a loan for the studio so I could build it exactly as I wanted. We built the building. We opened in December of 2019. My first installment to repay the loan was May of 2020. And we closed in March and of 2020. That was really That's terrifying tough. and scary. And yeah. somehow... And the the wholesale business was never supposed to supplement the studio. I I made it really clear to myself because I felt like anyone who would look at my business plan that I didn't even really have (laughs) would say, you should just keep doing hotels. This is where the money is. This is how you can grow. This is how you can scale. This is how you can expand. But I just felt like I need a place where we're connecting everything back together. I need that physical space. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Luckily, the wholesale did support us while we got through the harder time of COVID. But now we're we have a lot of tourism again, and it's opening up. We've gotten some really good press, and then the wholesale is like, yeah, we're kind of close to hitting a pretty big bottleneck, but in the best of ways. Yeah, because I know people are going to listen to this and want to know if you know how do they access the studio mm-hmm. is there a calendar or a way that they can get in touch with you in terms of workshop dates or one on one on the site yes. okay so we'll we'll make sure that there's a link to that 
Yes, we have our workshops posted. Great. Every month is different, but always they can just um, email directly through the website any questions or I'd like to come in this month. And we, we do a lot of the workshops for people who come who maybe can't, you know. Okay. We need to do a Liberty Road workshop. I know. I would have love a bunch that. of Liberty Road women come. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be so fun. I, I- that. I want to ask you because because of our pivot and our focus on really um, women launching whatever venture over 40, as you now are in your 40s, you can sort of compare like what was the way you ran your company versus now. What are the things that you would say, maybe two things that are a, a unique difference or something that is a notable difference? So it's sort of like wrapped up within just just the nature of growing older yeah just that you the older you get or at least I'll speak for myself just that sort of more that confident knowing that the more you really try to eliminate that outside noise that outside comparison that mm. mom guilt <laughs> that also creeps in a lot of those kind of just that outside noise yeah. the more I am able to do that. And the more I've honed and practiced trying to really listen to myself, starting from when I was in college, the better I've gotten at it. And I feel like I'm connected to sort of myself and, and mm. believing that um, not just feeling like, oh, I have all this creative energy and I don't know where to put it. I mean, now I do. And the more I do it, the more it kind of gives back in a, in a way that gives me a lot of confidence to really just continue to go inward. And I paid off that business loan, by the way, that I took out for the studio. Not nine months early. Well done. Hats off. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But like, of course, you know, there are such highs and lows, but the more that listening, trusting, believing that I know the best thing for me and seeing it pay off, so to speak, in uh, yeah. what on whatever level that might be, meaning that I make X amount per year, but I have this much time to be with my family. Like that's how I've gotten as I've gotten older too, just a little bit wiser and less concerned about what other people think. <laughs> and also sure. don't really have the time to worry about what they think and just doing what feels right for me. And so with my business, now we are at a point where I, can afford to hire more people and bring in people who are really good at what they're good at so that I can focus on what really inspires me, what makes me feel connected to everything that I'm doing, which means I bring that home to my family and, you know, just being able to continually like evolve the business, but honing in on what I, what I want for myself. Yeah. There's so many wise words in there. Um, and I know that our listeners will glean from them, including, you know, that capital is not just financial. The capital yes. of time is, yes. is a value. And the social capital. Yes. And the social capital. Absolutely. And the, in the you know, even though you haven't focused on this, but the, the impact that you're having yes. on your community. Yes. Um, I want to get to our fast five. So what's been your favorite age so far? I would say my four, I'm 43 now. So I would say my 40s have been, I mean, my 30s were great because I had children and that was a fun, exciting time. But yeah. my 40s, I feel like I've really come into my own on every level. <laughs> 
Yes. I, I often hear that about forties and there's, there's more to come as somebody who's in their fifties, there's yes. more to come. Great. Um, <laughs> what's, what is an, an aging hack practice book, anything that you want to share with us? Number one is yoga, okay. which has always been this go-to for me to just get me back to my center. Cold water. We have a little pool. We have a pool in our house, um, but it's freezing cold and it's very, it's just deep and it's freezing. And honestly, I do it like at least four to five times a week in the morning and sometimes at night, but just, even if it's just for five minutes and it's really so invigorating and I love it. Um, With all entertainment in general, I am kind of more of like a comedy person because I just love laughing and um, it always just like laughter in general, putting, put, you know, having things around me that make me feel, that make me laugh. And lastly, always trying to have like a really multi-generational community around me of women mm. in particular has been, especially in like these last five years has been so huge for me. That's like a more of a, you know, deep, profound one because I young men, much younger than me, one of two of the people who work for me are 25 year old women, um, 25 and 27. Uh, and then just having older women in my life that whose children have grown up or never had children, or they've been, you know, free spirits or like just having a huge range of friends who are all different ages. I just find that we all have so much to learn from one another. And yes. so that's been yeah. a really big one for me. That's an, a really important one cross-generational mentorship, I think is so valuable. Yes. Um, and then what is most exciting you about this stage of life? I think just the, uh, now almost eight years into the business, just to how much opportunity we have on the table. We as a team, me individually, you know, all these millions of times we questioned and wondered and, yeah. um, and we still do, but less and less so. And it's crystallizing more on a lot of levels that makes me take pause and think um, more as always like really intentionally about every choice that I'm making and how is this going to feed into the overall life that I want to be living. So always reverse engineering. Kind of, yeah. Earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about just, just a second ago, you brought up the, the generations of women that you're in community with, if you were to be mentoring a woman who's over 40, who's kind of in your stage of life, and you just wanted to remind her of something each and every time you met, what would that thing be? I think just honestly, just pause for a moment and just sit in, just sit in just the moment. I know it's Mm. not very maybe not profound, but whenever I do that for myself and I just do kind of a quick inventory of just all the things I've accomplished today, mm. let alone this week or this month and giving myself kind of um, props for just like, you made it this far. You're here today. You're healthy. Yeah. What are the, all the highs and lows of, of your day so far? And just honoring that that's the place that I'm in right now. And I have the opportunity to choose and so many people do not. Yeah. And living in Guatemala, it's more um, visible in a way, but at the same time, I see such a beauty in the the people here and the life that people are living. And it just helps me to really be very 
very grateful for having the opportunity to choose. I love that. Just try to like bring that person back to the moment. Yeah. And just the inventory that we are able to take in that moment. And I love that. So how do you think Luna Zorro has liberated you? Oh my gosh. I think it's just, it's given me this place to put all that energy. As I said before, all those creative ideas, all this love and intention and, um, hope and aspirations and like tears and all the, all all of it. It's been like the vehicle, the creative vehicle for me to just kind of work my way through my life and probably could have been jewelry or it could have been something else. It's not that it was always textiles. It just Luna's as an entity has helped me connect so much to who I am and connect others around me in a way that um, has totally liberated me from worrying about what I'm doing with my life and just living my life in this experience of, of the business and the community. I love it. Thank you for sharing your story, Molly. I know it's going to inspire our listeners and I just appreciate you um, taking the time to get on with us. I appreciate the, the listening and I do hope it does inspire other people to know that there is so much opportunity for sure. And I'm always here if anyone wants to come visit or have a coffee or yeah. It's going to happen. We're coming your way. (laughs) Liberty listeners, thank you guys for taking the time to be with us today and to listen to Molly's story. And I look forward to hearing um, what, what comes of it for each of you. DM me and let me know. Until next week. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower.